0: No Holding Back podcast featuring MPs, Ian Lavery, member for Wansbeck, And then you've got uh, Mike Ashley sniffing Ooh. around in the background like the vulture wanting to buy up these companies at a knockdown rate. The money's that Mike Ashley pay will not be paid in the pension scheme. It'll be paid to the owners who want to sell it off and rid themselves of the problem. The only people who'll suffer are, of course, are the people who are actually working. John Trickett, member for Hemsworth,
1: In our NHS track and trace, it's run by private companies handed over billions, literally billions of pounds to private firms who, quite frankly, are not fit.
2: And former
0: crew MP Laura Smith.
2: And I just pointed out the reality is if you have to put food on the table, if you're struggling with your bills, if you've got poor terms and conditions, if you're worried about the future of your job, then going and challenging your management, yourself, is incredibly difficult. They'll discuss the issues of working-class communities, celebrating the culture, the solidarity, the divides, and how the working-class vote can be won back for Labour. Join the three for this weekly podcast for passionate and heartfelt discussion. welcome everybody to this fourth episode can you believe it of no holding back today we're going to be focusing mainly on outsourcing and privatization and we're really really pleased because not only have i got my dear friends ian lavery hi ian i'm all right right. i thought you were asleep then i'm glad you're not and um, mr john trickett hello john
1: how do you do, Ms. Laura Smith? How are you keeping?
2: I'm all right. Are you? That's, uh, you yeah, the yeah, smelling yeah, salts thought, this morning, John.
1: I thought, I thought I'd let it roll off my tongue.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. And we're really, really pleased because we have today, I have I have an actual female with me today. I'm so glad. Hey. We've got uh, Fran Heathcote, who is the elected national president of the fabulous union, the public Commercial Services Union, PCS, and it's really good to have you with us, Fran, and we hope that you Thank enjoy you. the conversation. Thanks. So, without further ado, first of all, I'm Laura, just
0: going to... Laura, Laura can, I, can I just say, just before you go any further, you know...
2: I don't Fran,
0: know. <laughs> Fran is, uh, you know, like the, the national official of the PCS. The PCS, you know, through this pandemic, the PCS members have been absolutely terrific, and they never, ever get the credit that they are due, You know, yep. the increase in universal credit, the increase in benefits, the increase in poverty, the extra stress on the, the, the staff right through the PCS. is absolutely amazing. And the, the, the pressure that's being put on them from the government and they never, ever get the recognition. When we were clapping, you know, on Thursday night for the NHS and for the other key workers, very few people were really given any recognition to the PCS and their staff. So a big shout-out to Fran's team right across the country who have been absolutely, unbelievably brilliant, helping people in most need during this awful, awful, awful pandemic.
2: Yeah, I mean, 100%, Fran. And we'll come on to kind of discussing some of this stuff a bit later um, on in the show. But Ian's absolutely right, and utmost solidarity to, to everybody in your union. We're going to get started. First of all I'm going to plug the fact that if you haven't already you need to sign up to all of our stuff on noholdingback.org. Please catch up with the podcast if you haven't listened to them all. They're, They're going down quite well actually. I think people are enjoying them so far and we are going to start with our weekly rage i'm going to pick who it is for those who don't know about this we pick at random one of us and then we have to rage about a topic you get one minute and today that person is mr ian lavery
3: oh
2: well it's Um, a monday morning
1: he's not had much breakfast i can see so i think this rage is going to be a classic
0: i'm looking forward to it ian well John, John, honestly, you know what I've had for me breakfast this morning. I've had some no, chicken. We haven't
2: we haven't got we haven't got time oh, for, for this. this no, we haven't got time for this. We need to just <laughs> get on, please. I'm gonna start the clock. The thing that you are raging about <laughs> is the vaccine. Oh whoa. And stop.
0: Well listen, I'm praying like the rest of the country, like the rest of the world, that we get the vaccine rule out correct. And I haven't got any confidence in this government. I've seen how they virtually missed the boat with regard to the introduction of PPE for our key workers, causing yeah. death and destruction right across the nation. I've seen the fact that we didn't get the wonderful world beaten test and trace system right and still isn't right at this moment in time. I've seen time after time promises broken, false dawns, ignored and the reality is we've got to get the vaccine right and we've got to make sure that it's ruled out correctly right across the country, right across the UK, right across the world to make sure that those most in need get looked at first. I haven't got the confidence that other people have got but listen, we've got to hope and pray
1: that the vaccine... Right. Good one, good one.
2: Well done, that was good. That was, that it, was yeah. almost like it was prepared.
1: Yeah, but yeah, you must have been practicing.
3: People, I can assure
2: people that it wasn't. So let's crack yeah. on with our um conversation today on a huge topic of outsourcing and privatization. And as I said, we've got Fran with us, um, which is great, and I'll come to you in a second. This issue. We know that outsourcing is just a huge waste of money, especially given the lack of experience within the civil service to actually monitor and draft good deals and contracts. I'm actually a local councillor at the moment. I've seen the impact that outsourcing's had at that level. I think that every single Labour council should be calling for the end of it, end of story. I was wondering if I could just come, first of all, to you, Fran, just to kind of set the scene on what's going on mm. in your union and, and how have you seen this practice
3: impact the people who you represent? Okay, well, look, thanks, Laura. And, and as you say, it is a massive topic and um, the CS of PCS is commercial services. So when people think about PCS, they think about civil servants, but actually a lot of our members now are people that would have been civil servants, and yet their work has been outsourced or sold off to, well, I would say the highest bidder, but actually it tends to be the lowest bidder. It tends to be the company that puts in a bid on low wages, often below the minimum wage, minimum terms and conditions. And so We have a real battle on our hands in in terms of trying to defend those people. Because, of course, during the pandemic, we've seen huge challenges for all of our members. As, As Ian said at the beginning, they deliver universal credit, they administer the furlough scheme, they keep the courts running. They're not necessarily very popular jobs sometimes, but they're really important jobs to keep the country running. But more and more often, the people, you know, the bulk of some departments are currently working from home, but... A number of departments, because of the nature of the work they do, just have to be in the workplace. And the people that tend to be often forced into the workplace are the people on on some of these contracts. So it's pretty ironic that we've had to launch our Dying for Sick Pay campaign, which is all about trying to get them paid. So... At the moment, we're having long discussions with the Cabinet Office and the Civil Service about mass testing. Now, obviously, we're not opposed to testing in principle because, you know, it it should protect the health of of everybody in the workforce. That can only be a runner if you include the people on the outsourced contracts in the testing programme. But of course, the implications of them testing positive is they don't get paid or they get sent home on SSP, which is £19 a day. Most of them can't afford no. to live on that. And so they are the least likely people to volunteer for testing because of the fear of the implications of what happens if you test positive. So there are some real you know, moral issues, but there are some issues that affect everybody. So, of course, if they come to work with the virus and we've had examples of just that, they spread the virus, and the testing is a waste of time for everybody. So in the context of the pandemic, there are huge issues for these workers. But more generally, I think the same that it's become quite prevalent really within PCS is there's no such thing as a good privatisation. We have endless examples of where these things haven't worked or where they've ended up costing the taxpayer more in the long run and very few examples, if any, of where where they've gone well and where in fact the service has been an improvement. Because of course, in our view, it's fundamentally wrong to seek to make a profit out of the welfare state and out of the, the services that we deliver. And so it just doesn't work. The whole idea of it, the whole concept behind it seems to start from the wrong perspective and that's to make money rather than to try and deliver a quality service which is what most of our members seek to do.
2: Absolutely and John I was going to kind of bring you in on that point and just we know that one of the reasons this is happening is because the Tories and uh, et cetera are basically lying in their pockets for, yeah. for their chums. And yeah. that's what these contracts actually mean. We've seen it time and time and time again. And I don't understand. I cannot get my head around why there is not more anger at yeah. that from the general public and I don't know if it's because the message just isn't getting out there and if so we need to be getting that message out there far more but but kind of, if I could bring you in on that point and the biggest example, John, is obviously the absolute shambles of the track and trace. And yep. as Fran has has just said and commented, the reality is, and I know a lot of people who simply will not, uh, they can't, they cannot risk getting getting a positive result because their whole lives could fall apart. That's the sad reality of it. John?
1: It's quite maybe the most shocking aspect of this whole period, apart from the fact that, you know, this pandemic is such a dangerous thing. But, you know, there's an old saying, I sometimes think Labour could learn from it, which is never waste a crisis. And what the Tories have done is they've seen a crisis caused by this disease. And instead of just focusing on trying to fight the pandemic, They've used the crisis to do other things that they want to do anyway. And maybe above anything else, what they've done is they've begun to take the NHS apart. You're right to raise this question of of, uh, track and trace. Whenever a Tory minister says track and trace, they say, our NHS, track and trace. That's what they say. In our NHS, track and trace. It's run by private companies Mm -hmm. handed over billions literally billions of pounds to private firms who quite frankly are not fit. They're not fit to do the job. But clearly what this is about, apart from anything else, is fattening up the private sector in health to go on to move further and further down the track of privatizing the NHS. And and clearly that is deeply disturbing. I don't know if everybody listening to this podcast is aware that The Daily Mirror recently did a very good little piece, uh, one billion pounds, which is a thousand millions handed over to companies who are directly related to the Tories. Most people will know is they're not even bothering to go through the system of like, get people to tender to see which is the best bid. They're just Mm -hmm. handing it over to the mates without even tendering. So whilst the, I think I would say the British state has always been an instrument of the ruling class. But there was a pretense to keep a a separation between politics and the capitalists. Now the capitalists have simply invaded the the British state and they're now just feasting off money. And my final point for the moment is this, £3,500 per household, £3,500 per household is the total cost of outsourcing at the present time. I'll tell you what, if Labour ever gave that kind of money to the trade unions, there would be yeah. such a scandal. We'd be in court, we'd be in trouble, they'd be talking about bringing the government, the, the Labour government down. I sometimes think, you know, final, my, I've said final point, I'm going to say it one more time. Okay. They know, I took after their class, it's time exactly. we did, did the same for hours.
2: We say that every week, don't we? We And uh, that's the most important thing. And Ian, we are seeing up and down the country, we are seeing workers and unions like PCS organising, protecting, standing up for their rights against this, there, there are a number who are doing it. One example this weekend was just a fantastic demonstration by the striking workers at Rolls-Royce in Barn Oldswick. And they had a car rally on Saturday and just seeing the, the flags and everything off the motorway bridges, Car after car for five minutes going past, beeping their horns. We need to see more of that. And like John said, that solidarity in action. Ian, how do we do it? How do we stir people up and get them to to start fighting back? Because people, without a doubt, are going through such difficult personal times. Sometimes the idea of of taking on that kind of challenge or being able to change anything is just they don't think it can happen what what would your response be to that well
0: well uh, first of all i agree with you laura it was a, a great rally on on uh, on sad the barnals week. Uh, and and they've been showing themselves how effective a trade union could be in a trade dispute uh, which is absolutely despicable the way that the company is treating uh, such a loyal workforce, but that seems to be what, what these private companies are, are, are doing at this moment in time and that that's continually exploiting the workers. Nothing new, by the way, but I've got to say that, you know, as far as we're concerned, no holding back, this isn't the private versus public sector. You know, we support the trade unions in both, obviously, both the private and the public sector and we don't want to get into that type of culture war which the government continually try to push them into that the people working in the public sector have got gold-plated pensions, people in the private uh, sector have got nothing. What we want is the best possible wages, terms and conditions, etc. for everyone, uh, every worker uh, across the UK and, indeed, across the globe, because that's that's what it is all about. But, you know, what? We're, we're talking about outsourcing and privatisation uh, today, Laura. When you're in private sector employment, yeah generally we below simply because of the uh, the reduction in terms of the the trade union movement recognition in the private sector you've normally got like worse wages terms and conditions you haven't got the, the holidays you haven't got the sick pay you haven't got the collective bargaining where the union can act on your behalf. You've got worse terms and conditions in with regard to health and safety, which is really important in many workplaces. You haven't got generally trade union recognition, access to the workplace. And I remember speaking to Fran and many others a few years ago when the, the Cabinet Office, for example, decided to take the check-off system from the PCS, which caused yeah. absolutely,
3: yeah.
0: you know, it can destroy your trade union, fortunately. So we've got to recognise that the lack of trade union recognition in the, the private sector uh, does hold private sector workers back. But the reality is, Laura, there's always an alternative. And if you work together, and then John Trickett uh, always gives a great example of what he's, uh, he's grander, explaining how strong a trade union is and what a trade, trade union is. And how they're strong, how collectively you can, and not just campaign, but gain great achievements uh, for Mm. people in the workplace. But I think we've got to work together, the Labour Party and the trade unions. We've got to look at the the anti trade union legislation, which has been introduced over many, many years, which Tony Blair said he was very proud that we had the the strongest uh, anti trade union legislation in the Western world. We've got to make sure that, like we had in 2017, like we had in 2019, we had a whole raft of policies which supported trade unions, both in the private and the public sector. Looking after workers, no matter where they work, whether it's it's in car manufacturing or whether it's in the privatised prisons, for example, we've got a duty and we've got that. That's the challenge to make sure that people understand that there is an alternative and this is how we work together to achieve our best definitely, objective
2: Definitely. I am going to come to you next, Fran. I, I agree completely with everything that you said Ian. Mm. John, I am going to also ask you just to tell that marvellous story. It doesn't matter how many times I hear it. I just think it's so simple and so clear. So I will come to you and ask you to share that shortly. But Fran, I think the figure is around £10 billion worth of test and trace contracts that were not competitively, can't speak this morning, (laughs) tendered. Over a a billion pounds worth of these went to those close to the Tory party. How do your members, how do you feel about this? Because I feel so incredibly angry. Mm, So
3: what's your feelings? It's hard, isn't it? Because I, I think people often don't understand the extent of the, corruption, for want of a better phrase, that exists in terms of all of this. We've got ongoing campaigns within PCS to seek to bring work that has been sold off back in-house, but not for just ideological reasons, but because the way that it's um, often bid for... The civil service are prevented from putting in an in-house bid or departments prevented from doing that. And as your other speakers have outlined often, those contracts are just handed over without any proper tendering process. So the fact that, uh, you know, 10 billions of the test and trace contracts weren't competitively tendered for is no surprise at all to me. It, you know, it's still, we almost become used to it. And I think our members are reflective of general society, you know, and until you have first-hand experience of what it means to have the work prioritized. And I mean, as Ian outlined, often these are people least likely to have joined a union. A lot of these companies don't recognize trade unions. And we've got examples of where we've worked yeah. extensively to, to recruit in, in, within these companies, got to a point where we can go for recognition, have actually got Successful recognition bids in uh, and for our union to be recognised, and then that company loses the contract, another yeah. company takes over, and you're back to square one with no recognition again. So it's a really difficult way of doing things. And as I say, our members only really become aware of this when it faced with the reality. I mean, as Ian and John both outlined, it's been a tough period for trade unions, and we were we were the first union I think to have the attack on Chekhov and have our our ability to pay our subs through our salary removed and we worked incredibly hard to address that but of course the area where this has always been an issue and and it is difficult it is is some of these outsourced contracts the the CS of PCS and we, we have lots and lots of examples of where not just it hasn't gone well but where By the nature of their employment, they don't automatically join a union and then that makes them easy pickings really in terms of some of the attacks. And I mean, we've got good examples in particular around the culture sector within PCS at the moment of where members have fought back against, you know, mounted campaigns against redundancy, against... Uh, selling off their work against closing you know sending their contracts throughout the pandemic but these are vulnerable workers they're, they're not well paid it's yeah. a big a big deal for them to ask them to lose money through industrial action so we have to weigh up very carefully what we can do to support them and defend them while seeking to get a dialogue with these companies but bluntly these companies have handed these contracts everybody plays each other off against each other so departments are told It's up to the company, you know, they they tell us it's up to the companies whether they pay them sick pay or or give them other benefits that we believe they're entitled to. The companies say, well, no, we we get the contract via the departments if they want us to do all these things. They would ask us to do that within the bid and they haven't done. So often it's a real minefield trying yeah. to get recognition and, and get support for these workers in exactly. these companies, and they're the least likely to be able to afford to do, you know, it's a, it's a big deal for them to ask them to Absolutely. do anything. Even joining a union is a big cost.
2: Yeah, I, I remember getting Evers Across once or twice when I was in Parliament mm. with some colleagues oh, yeah. because there was this kind of debate that was going on with colleagues around empowering female workers to be able to raise their concerns with management. And I just pointed out the reality is if you have to put food on the table, if you're struggling with your bills, if you've got poor terms and conditions, if you're worried about the future of your job, then going and challenging your management yourself is incredibly difficult. And of course, people can't do that. They won't do that. I wouldn't do that. It's about making sure you have that collective voice and that support and being strong within the union, which, again, I'm going to bring you in. I promise, John, in one second, we do have to touch on the biggest example of failure, as far as I'm concerned, of privatisation. And that is care workers, care mm-hmm. homes. There is no bigger example, as far as I'm concerned, of how privatization has just taken over this sector. And now we just, well, we, we know what's been happening and that's been highlighted, of course, through, uh, through COVID. John, I one week we'll have to do a weekly rage about this subject of, okay. of care workers, but I'm gonna pass to you.
1: Okay, okay, well, uh, well I think uh, the first thing to say is, look at the big picture for a second. Ever since the bankers crash, which no banker was punished for, though one of them lost his stewardship. And the country nearly uh, collapsed, as we know. What's really happened is that the money being paid in wages and salaries, whether you work with your hands or behind a desk or whatever kind of job you do, the income of working people has gone down. People often say to me, well, how did that happen? How did it exactly happen? Well, one of the things was privatisation, outsourcing, because... When people were working for the government or for the country, they were able to build quite strong unions and to fight for their rights. Mm-hmm. And the same in industry, the same thing happened. Now, obviously, that hasn't taken place. When you privatise, you often lose your pension or you lose your your rates of pay. You're on temporary contracts, and the employers take advantage. They make money. They're making profit out of taxpayer money. That's what's really happening. And I'm amazed, like you said at the beginning, why aren't people who pay taxes in uproar, three and a half thousand pounds per household? But look, he is, I always think, you know, the, the, the Labour movement should learn from the pioneers who set up the movement. And so uh, you reminded me about the story of a little boy talking to his granddad, he's eight years old, it's me. And granddad, I don't know what a union is, you're always talking about it. And by the way, when my, when my granddad died, all he had was just a tin. And in that tin box was a rubber band around every union card that he'd ever had from 1933. All paid in by hand, one and sixpence a week or whatever it was. He used to go down to a trades club and pay it. It was quite touching to see it. But, and he, he says, well, he says, tell you what a union is, John, Come into back where they had a little garden, like an allotment. Pick up that, tom- that old bamboo cane there that I used for tomatoes. So I did, and he says, can you snap it? And of course, I were eight, so I managed to snap it. Then he said, right, there's a load over there, about 10 of them, pick them up, come back here. So I goes over to where tomatoes used to be, and there's 10, I've got them in my hands. He says, right, break them. Go on now, John, break them. So I spent about four minutes writhing, trying to twist and turn and break them. Impossible. Funny enough, when I started to tell this story again, I tried it not that long ago. I think I'm a big big bad bugger, basically. I think I thought I could snap 10, you can't. You no. can't do it, it's very hard. It's so
2: hard enough you know, says, with spaghetti, John. It's hard enough if you and snap spaghetti.
1: <laughs> anyway, I said to my granddad, what's I got to do with trade unions? Granddaddy says, I'll tell you what that is. He said, they can always break you if you're on your own. Mm. But if you stick together, they can't break you and that's mm-hmm. what trade unionism he says join the union and he also says that's what socialism is about people banding together for a better world they can't break you i didn't say to him who, who are they because it seemed to me even when i was eight year old i knew who they were the people who were trying to make profits off the back of us yeah and exactly. i think everybody should tell their grandkids the same tale, whether you got grandkids or not, remember it and tell it because this is how you build the movement by telling stories, by organising, by getting there in the workplace, in the community, fighting for justice against what goes wrong.
0: Laura, that tale, that Joan tale, should definitely be on the national curriculum.
2: It's probably it more
0: probably more important than learning algebra in logarithms. You know, where <laughs> it
2: actually
0: means something to somebody and exactly. they can use it.
2: Uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm also, uh, Ian, I am going to get my dad to tell that tale to his grandchildren, because at the moment, right? when he right. talks about capitalism,
3: yeah.
2: etc., it, it all gets a little bit blue, oh, and I no, have to no, remind no. him they're four and nine, <laughs> so <laughs> I think your story <laughs> might work um, just a little bit more. Ian, I was going to just mention to you, again, another example of something that's just kind of been happening is the absolute leech that is Philip Green, and what's happened last week with his retail empire. And again, there's this misunderstanding, isn't there, that something like this goes under. And some people think, oh, Philip Green, poor him, he'll lose everything. You know, he was just one of those people who tried his best, he made a load of money and It's a shame when the reality is Philip Green is not going to lose anything out of this. It is all those people who have worked, those wealth creators who have lined his pockets, who have paid for his yachts, who have paid for all of the luxuries that he has had, who are spending their Christmas worried about what they're going to do i was um, out just i popped into a well-known shop on sunday to collect something and one of the retail workers said please will you go on and fill out this this survey because if it comes back and it's like a, a lucky draw we might get the day off on boxing day oh. just thought this is just so this whole system is so rotten Rotten to the core. Ian, what are we doing? How do we get people to understand what type of person Philip Green and his ilk actually are?
0: When people are living through this dreadful uh, pandemic and then you see Philip Green telling you how upset he might be because he might have to actually pay people some pension, the money that him and his family took from the pension scheme at the very beginning, workers' money, deferred wages, as we, we like to say, and it actually is deferred wages. When you see him with this this golden tan with his shorts on and his hair greased back, on this wonderful yacht, seeing how difficult it might just be to him, now if that doesn't get people wondering what on earth uh, is going on, particularly with the... Uh, are you know, the likes of the Arcadia Group and Philip Green and other uh, massive stores. I mean, Debenhams, all of these things. I mean, and, and then you've got uh, Mike Ashley sniffing Ooh. around in the background like a Ooh. vulture wanting to buy up these companies at a knockdown rate. The monies that Mike Ashley pay will not like be paid in the pension scheme. It'll be paid to the owners who want to sell it off and rid themselves of the problem. The only people who suffer... The only people who suffer, of course, are the people who are actually working in those, uh, the, you know, the, the retail industry. Usdo have done a, a magnificent job. Usdo the trade union. I remember the big campaigns of Sunday working. Uh, oh, we will only wanted on the run up to Christmas time, uh, and it's only to maximise profits to keep people in employment. Uh, and look what's happening. We've got 24-hour working the next few months, certainly the next few weeks. Time when. I honestly believe that we're putting uh, shop workers in the firing line oh, of COVID-19. If you have a look, you're coming out of a football match, a, a local football match with more than 300 people there. Have a look at North Humberland Street in Newcastle, mm-hmm. the main shopping centre in the capital. Have a look at the metro centre. You yep. can't get moved. These people are going into the shops and they, the, key, the key workers into the shops. These are the ones who are set to lose our employment because of Philip uh, green. Not only their employment, they're set to lose their pensions. People who have been in the retail uh, industry uh, all our lives and are claiming pensions are in danger of losing their pensions. It's about capitalism and it's about absolute and utter greed. That, again, doesn't incite people. I'm not sure really uh, what it goes. And that's why why we need to be in a trade union and collectively together fight these people because that's the only way you can fight these people is in a collective body a collective strength and bringing resources together
2: fran we're kind of coming it goes so fast but we're kind yeah. of coming towards the end of this what can our listeners what can they do to support pcs and and what you're going through you mentioned a campaign earlier maybe you mm. can just touch again on that the one thing that's come out this year is is the absolute generosity that still exists in people and people do care and i firmly believe that when people are informed they take they do take action it's just there's such an effort to keep people out of the loop what can what can we do
3: to help i think ian's really hit the nail on the head our strength is in our collectivity and when you say why aren't people more angry about this i think because there is a right-wing media out there that is constantly peddling the line that the public sector is somehow wasteful, it's somehow inefficient, we all wear bowler hats and pinstripe suits and drink a lot of tea, when the average civil servant now is is not recognisable from that caricature. And what the government and the Tories are very good at is division. And so they seek to sow this division between public and sect- sector and private sector workers between our members and benefit claimants, for example, because if they can, you know, divide people into silos, people are less likely to come together and campaign against what they're doing. And we see that very, you know, firsthand really in, in, in the Department for Work and Pensions, where I'm a member. And I think our job as a movement is to always be arguing for collective action and for, for doing things together, for coordinating our campaigns wherever we can and asking people to, you know, we, we've got the spending review, the Rishi Sunak announced where there'll be a public sector pay freeze. Now, of course, it's very easy then to have a discussion about deserving and undeserving public sector workers mm. you know these rotten civil servants and ministry universal credit and nothing like the the caring nurses and uh, and you know the teachers or whatever and the problem with that is that that division allows the Tories to win and, and force their strategies through yeah, so I, I think right. as, as a movement we we have to try all the time to coordinate our campaigns to make people aware on our dying for sick pay campaign these are not ambitious demands they are the idea that if you if tested positive for COVID or if you're sent home because you're unwell your income should be protected now in a civilized society that should shouldn't be a novel concept and what's been really pleasing about some of our more recent campaigns particularly in in bays in the department for enterprise and industry is that those are often low-paid predominantly female, predominantly black workers, often English isn't their first language. And as I say, a big deal to do anything like they've done over the last 12 months to defend themselves. These are our cleaners, our catering staff, low paid workers within civil service buildings. And yet they have not maybe not won everything, but they've gained concessions every time they've been prepared to stand up for themselves and stand together. So I think I would urge people just to look beyond the headlines, which are all about trying to create division and trying to say you know these these people have a cushy number they're well paid they're they're protected at a time when the when the private sector have nothing this isn't about trying to create a division between public and private it's been it's about trying to level up not level down and make sure then everybody wins don't they and you know we're not seeking to a race to the bottom we're trying to get everybody to a standard of living where they don't have to choose between eating and heating and actually you know they've got enough money to live on and that should be our aim whether you're in the private sector the public sector or no matter who you work for you know there are some real shocking statistics around the amount of people not getting the living wage not being paid sick pay even during the pandemic, the reality of being sent home meaning you can't feed your family. And and this is why we're, we're continuing to see people dying because Precisely. they are they're coming in to work because they can't afford not to. So I hope that sort of encapsulates all the, the big challenges <laughs> and what we need to do.
2: And all the while, Fran, as as you've highlighted, all all the time there are these people who are just getting richer and richer yeah. and richer. And we, we need to be seriously fighting back. And it's, you're doing fantastic stuff. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you join us today. And I know that we could all go on and talk so much more about this. Ian, John, any final thoughts very quickly, though?
0: Very quickly, Laura. I just, you know, we're talking public versus private. You know, you just need to look no further than the, the real franchises. Why on earth national governments in Spain and Germany, the Netherlands and Luxembourg, Belgium, own our privatised rail networks, are charging top door for poor services, taking the money away and making the fares and everything else in their countries a lot cheaper under the nationalised system. That in itself speaks why public versus private needs to be closely
2: scrutinised. And it's, it's such a good example because we've all heard, well, train drivers are paid so much, blah, 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 before, haven't we? Well, as you said, Fran, they absolutely should be. It should be that we're bringing everybody else up. Um, and that's the power of, of unions, isn't it? That, yeah. that, that that's happened. Mr. Trickett, well, final think,
1: thoughts. Yeah, I think it's been a great, great conversation. Uh, we got down to brass tacks, didn't we, as we always do? we're not going to represent one group of workers rather than another. But the fact is that if you're in long-term, paid, permanent, you know, full-time jobs, you're in a much better place to organise. But sadly, because of the way the economy is now organised, so many people are not in those kind of jobs. So unions and community organisations need to find inventive new ways of organising. And the story I told... I think, tells you that the our socialist pioneers, our trade union pioneers, they use different ways of organising, you know, by music, by storytelling, and by various other ways. We have to reinvent that in the new era. We can fight back, and we can win, and we will
2: we will we will we will thank you so much for listening to our podcast today and please do make sure you share it make sure you join us next week make sure you sign up to all of our stuff on www.noholdingback.org as always it's a pleasure looking forward to seeing you next week chaps thanks oh, Brad right. thanks so much No
3: Holding Back and Sovex Low Podcast Production.